Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Sunday morning, studying the book of Romans together. Coming now to chapter 8, well into chapter 8, one of the most famous chapters in the entire Bible. If you're with us this morning and you don't have a Bible, men are coming up the aisles right now with Bibles, and you just flag them, and they'll give you a Bible. Mark our passage that we're studying today. If you don't own a Bible, make that Bible a gift from God to you this morning. Two verses this morning, Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. Paul writes, by the Spirit of God, and he says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now He, and this speaks of God the Father, who searches the hearts, knows what is the mind, uh, knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because He, that is the Holy Spirit, makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God, that is God the Father. Let's pray together. Father, we, I think so often of your, this Bible as a treasure chest, and uh, all of us experience this in our morning devotions, and we come to Scripture after Scripture after Scripture, and each of them magnificent in their own way speaking something important to us in their own way. And we thank You, Lord, for this revelation of Yourself in the Christian life, this gemstone that is verses 26 and 27 that we get to explore today. Would You be active by Your Holy Spirit in our hearts, Lord, as we unpack these two verses and see how they apply to our lives and to our pilgrimages, Christians. And we ask for that work of your Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. In Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul is emphasizing the person and the work of the Holy Spirit in the victorious Christian life. He is the one who makes what we know as a victorious Christian life uh, possible. And what Paul has revealed to us about the Holy Spirit in this regard uh, thus far is in verses 1 through 4, he's told us that the Holy Spirit has brought the law of the Spirit uh, into our lives. He tells us in verse 14 that we are led by the Holy Spirit. In verse 15, that the Holy Spirit leads us into an Abba-Father relationship with God the Father. And then in verse 16, he bears witness, we're told the Holy Spirit does with our spirit that we are the sons of God. And now in these two verses that we look at here this morning, Paul instructs us about another ministry of the Holy Spirit. And it's one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit that I would guess that the overwhelming majority of Christians are either completely uh, unknowing related to it or are, are very confused about this work of the Holy Spirit uh, within our lives. And it is the Holy Spirit in, in His work in our lives as an intercessor uh, for us during times of suffering. Now, you notice in verse 26 that the first word of verse 26 is the word likewise. And when he uses the word likewise, he's not starting an independent thought here. He is continuing to build upon uh, what he's already been speaking about through the section. 
And so it ties verses 26 and 27 to uh, everything else that has preceded it. And it's important to uh, remember that uh, the great theme that Paul is addressing in this part of Romans chapter 8 is how to navigate as a Christian, navigate the fallenness and the brokenness uh, of this world and of this creation uh, as Christians. And he, he began that entire theme in verse 18 where he said, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. And he will continue this theme of, of how to live as a Christian life in a context of suffering uh, all the way through the remainder of, of the chapter. And so uh, this is what we find ourselves in the middle of. And why does he give such a, a large section of the Romans chapter 8 to the subject of suffering except for the fact that suffering is the reality of every single person in the world. And just because we're Christians, as we're well aware, we are not immune to suffering and great suffering and hardship in the world in which we live. He tells us in verse 26 that the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. And you notice that word, weaknesses. Uh, literally, in the original language, it means weakness, it means illness, it means frailty, it means a spirit causing uh, illness. And figuratively, what uh, Paul is declaring here and what the Word speaks of is it speaks of a general weakness or a sense of helplessness. And, uh, and that is uh, something that everyone feels in the world, including Christians. Notice that this uh, is written, this uh, promise that's given to us here, that it is written to Christians. The whole context of it here is, is all of that. And notice that when he talks about weakness, he doesn't speak about weakness in the singular related to any of our lives. Uh, he speaks about our weaknesses, plural. In other words, we all have weaknesses. And, uh, and not only do we all have weaknesses, we all have many of them in the sense that over the long haul of trials and suffering and difficulties that we will face in life, we will all find ourselves in situations repeatedly that completely outstrip our natural resources completely outstrip uh, all of our, uh, our strength, no matter how strong any of us might be. Life has a way of marching on, and no one can escape it. Escape it. And life has a way of moving on, and, and, and each of us in our experience of it, and discovering event after event that is larger than us. And every single human being in this world, Christians included, We'll find ourselves repeatedly, apart from Christ, uh, that we are absolutely no match for life. And if we are no match for life, then apart from Christ, we are no match for death at all. And so these circumstances that come into our lives, and I don't care how disciplined we are, how, uh, how strong we are, how determined we are in life, we run into these situations that occur in which they produce an absolute sense of powerlessness on our part before them. They introduce a great perplexity within our life. We realize that for all the, that I thought I was or that people have thought that I was, 
this situation reduces me and exposes me to be weak in the face of it and unable to address it or unable to survive it uh, on, on my own. Now, here Paul is talking about weakness and talking about suffering uh, in, in our lives and that occurs in our lives that is so daunting that when these events happen to us in life, we don't even know what we should pray for as we ought. In other words, when these kind of events come into our lives, we don't even know what to pray in the situation. And what Paul is talking about here is events that occur within our lives, even as Christians, that have a level of suffering that is introduced into our lives, the kind of event that leaves us disoriented. That is, not only do we not know what to do in this circumstance and situation, we don't even know what to pray in the middle of this circumstance and situation. We don't know what to ask of God in the situation. We don't know what is best in the situation. And there's that lack of clarity that comes in into our lives. We don't even trust ourselves to understand what is happening enough here to even uh, see it clear enough to then pray with any kind of effectiveness or, 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 or a sense of, 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 of knowing what is proper to ask in the situation. And when those kind of trials and difficulties come into our life, uh, it is a very, very difficult place to be in, where the news of something has come into our lives, and all we are capable of upon hearing the news or experiencing the event, all we're capable of doing in the face of it is to just simply sit in its presence, absolutely stunned by the turn, turn of events, unable to form a prayer, unable to even put a prayer into words. And as Paul says here, all we're capable of is to sit and to sigh and to groan inwardly. And the experience is so widely experienced that in life that we've fashioned a phrase for it. Uh, and the phrase is something like, I'm speechless, or the news left me speechless, or the news left them speechless. And it's this kind of an event in life that none of us are immune of that, that produces this kind of, of a reaction. And it is very, very hard when we find ourselves in this kind of a place, when our, our lives enter into this kind of a very disorienting season of suffering. And examples of this, you could put your own list together. And in fact, from your own life, many of us are able to pull up the one, two, or three events of this kind, maybe more, that we've already experienced in life. But certainly it includes the death of a spouse. It includes the death of a child. It includes the death of a friend or a mentor uh, or another loved one in our life. Uh, it can occur when some great personal tragedy enters into our lives, where a dire medical condition uh, is diagnosed in ourselves 
or diagnosed in someone that we love, or it can occur when there is uh, uh, sometimes no fault of our own, the absolute loss of every single thing that we own in life, the loss of a savings, the loss of a home, the loss of, of everything because of some circumstance that has arisen, the loss of a business, the loss of a job, the loss of a means of income, and perhaps at an age you're in a physical condition where there's virtually no hope of trying to find similar employment in, in, in the economy that we may find ourselves in at the moment. And this kind of groaning this kind of sighing that, that we experience inside. Very often it happens, and I think all of us recognize it from some season in our life where we're watching some tragedy unfold on uh, the television news that just leaves us in absolute shock concerning the horror of what it is that we are witnessing. And I think in, in all of our lives, we experience the very same groanings, the very same signs. We didn't know what to, how to even put it into words when talking with uh, others within the family who are gathered around the same television set or others that we talked with later as we saw uh, the footage of those uh, jet planes flying into the Twin Towers in New York City, and then to see the continuing coverage where people are jumping uh, dozens and scores of, of flights above, uh, above the ground, jumping to their, their death in order to escape uh, the flames that were coming upon them and to put them ourselves in their shoes and to wonder what is the horror of the emotion that a person must be feeling uh, when forced with one of these two ways to die and then to act upon one or the other. I think more recently in Las Vegas, that gunman who fired 1,100 rounds into a huge crowd of people at an outdoor concert and uh, over 850 people wounded, 58 people died, and we see uh, the images of it before us and we're stunned at the brokenness of this world, the sin of this world. And as we look at it, all the, the great thing is that occurs within us is not anything that we can verbalize, nothing that we can put into words. And what happens at that moment is we find ourselves incapable of expressing what we're feeling, but noticing the sighing, noticing the groaning within us at witnessing this kind of thing. And sometimes we'll watch on the news an, an earthquake that levels a city or a mudslide that causes in some part of the world an entire village to, to disappear and hardly any survivors uh, left. For me, in terms of groaning, in terms of sighing, you'll have your own list in terms of, of the uniqueness of who you are and what God has called you to do but always the fall of a fellow pastor into disqualifying sin always leaves me in this place for a number of days. And it's not that I look at it and say that's something that I'm incapable of or something that I would never do or looking down on them, but just the hurt and the pain that comes from that kind of an experience, the sighing and the groaning 
when you realize as a pastor how uh, far-reaching the implications of this is going to be uh, into a family and into a church family and into the body of Christ within an entire uh, community. And I think it's helpful to, to realize that no one suffer, uh, experience, uh, or uh, escapes this uh, in life. Not anyone that uh, has lived on planet Earth or ever will live in this fallen planet Earth. I think about Jesus Himself in all of His perfection, in all of His power, His wisdom, and all of His strength, and how we're told repeatedly in what I think are some of the most uh, touching and personal revelations concerning the heart of Jesus. We're told repeatedly that in facing certain circumstances that He would sigh and that He would groan. I think about in Mark chapter 7 where He healed a man who was uh, deaf and he had an impediment in, in speech, and, they, and his friends and family members brought them to Jesus. They begged that Jesus would, would put His hand on him and, and healed him. And interestingly, Jesus takes the man away from the multitude, and then He puts His fingers in the man's ears, and then He spat and He touched His tongue, and then looking up into heaven, and then here is something that the Holy Spirit didn't need to include in the passage, and yet He does. And, this, and, uh, and the Holy Spirit declares, and then looking up into heaven, referring to Jesus, He sighed. And then he said to the man, uh, Ephrathah, and that is, be opened. And immediately his ears were opened, and the impediment of his tongue was loose, and he spoke plainly. And that sigh, you ever think about Jesus? Here he is in the middle of this scene. He knows he's going to heal the man. He knows that he doesn't lack the power to do that. But here is he's in the facing the consequences of the fall of, of Adam and Eve, in that ancient garden of Eden, to see the consequences of it and the price that people are paying, this man is paying in his own life uh, as a result of that fall, and what others who love him, the price that they're paying, and he simply looks up before he even addresses it, and he sighs. He sighs in, in the, as a communication of his heart, of the groaning of his spirit, that is upon all of us in this world. When he was approached by the Pharisees later in Mark chapter 8, and they come out and they begin to dispute with him, and they ask him for a sign from heaven proving that he's the Son of God and proving that he's the Messiah, and then we're told his response to it. He would have a verbal response to it, but before he ever said anything to them, his first response was physical. And he declared, and we're told, but he sighed deeply in his spirit. He sighed deeply. He groaned at the unbelief of these religious leaders in the face of how many signs there were for belief in him as the Messiah and, and as the Son of God. And so he sighed deeply in his spirit, and he said, why does this generation seek a sign? Assuredly, I said to you, no sign shall be given to this generation, and he left them, and getting into the boat again, departed to the other side. And then uh, most of us are very familiar with John chapter 11, where Jesus is at the scene of the, uh, the death of uh, a, a uh, the friend, uh, uh, this, a, a family in, uh, with Lazarus having died, and his, and his sisters, Martha and Mary, 
and there in the city of Bethany. And repeatedly throughout the entire scene as he sees the pain that this death has brought into Mary's life and into Martha's life and into the entire city. And as he looks at the consequences of the fall, the introduction of death into the human condition, knowing that God had never created it to be so, and we're told repeatedly that he groaned within himself. And this is a sighing place. This is a groaning place. As we've seen in recent weeks, one day it's going to give way to something where these things will never be experienced again. But they are experienced by everyone in this world and has ever lived in this world or will live in this world, including Jesus himself. The single great weakness that Paul is addressing in the passage has to do with our prayers that so often when we find ourselves in this kind of a place, we don't know what we should pray for as we ought, simply because that concerning the particulars of whatever this is that's going on in our life, we do not know what would be best in the situation. And not knowing what would be best in the situation, lacking that clarity, we lack then the confidence to ask for specifics related to the situation. An example of this that can happen within our lives is if you have an adult child who is living a life of crime or a life of drug use, and, and here they are, irresponsible, unteachable. They were raised in the things uh, of God, but now they're very, very far away from the Lord. And then you get the news, or we get the news, that they've been arrested, and now the crime is serious, and they've been thrown into jail. And one of the first things that comes into our mind when we find ourselves in such a situation is the best thing to bail them out, to now continue to live life as they've been living it? Or has this prison or this jail uh, situation that they've been introduced to, is this something that God has orchestrated in their life to get their attention, to wake them up, to draw them back to Him, and to recommit their life to God? And that if we jump in and we start to pray to God to bail bail them out immediately, make it as easy as possible for them, we may find ourselves working against God's plan within their lives. And so we groan, we sigh at the face of these circumstances in life that we never expected to become a part of our life when we were raising them and they were so cute at four years old and six years old and nine years old. We would have never dreamed they would bring this kind of heartbreak or this kind of of decision-making or sighing into our lives, but it happens, and it happens over and over uh, again. And it's a very difficult place for a parent to find themselves in, and very often, not only do we not, not know what to do, we don't even know what to pray. And I think that this is very often in situations where someone has been raised in the things of the Lord, and they know better. And they go off and they're doing their own thing. 
and their very eternal life in terms of going to heaven is in jeopardy. It looks like they're going to fritter their life away, and they're going to die in this unsaved condition. And then uh, one day we find out, uh, 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 get the news related to them that some kind of an illness has occurred within their life, a terminal illness, a dangerous illness, or somehow financial ruin has been introduced into their life. And very often our first reaction is, oh no, this is the worst thing that could happen. And, uh, and we begin to sigh, and we begin to groan, and then, it, and then it takes that moment of stepping back and to realize, no, this may be God working in the situation to finally bring the person to the end of their ropes and in, uh, rope and into a faith uh, with Him. And so we don't know what to pray in so many situations in, in life. And I think that in general in life, uh, because we're Christians, we're good people, we're nice people, uh, we want the best and, uh, for people. And our first inclination so often in prayer uh, related to those that we love uh, for God is, God, do whatever you've got to do in this situation to end their suffering or to end their, the difficulty here. Solve this and end this difficulty as painlessly and as, as quickly as, as possible. And yet, I- at the same time, the suffering that they're experiencing may be absolutely vital for their character and even for their uh, salvation. It may be the only way they can learn the things that God is, is a, a, attempting to teach them. But so often is the case with the people that we love. They think their sin only affects them, that it only uh, harms them. But so often what they're engaged in and the life that unfolds as a result of their decisions has hardly an impact upon their own heart or upon their own emotions. Sure, they want to get out from under the consequences of of their sin, but their heart is not even remotely broken in the way that it breaks the heart of a mother of a father, of a grandmother, of a grandfather, of a foster parent, or a brother, or a sister, who were forced then to try and navigate the suffering in their own heart, that all of this that is going on in a sibling or in a child is is brought uh, into their lives uh, as as well. And so there's uh, these things, they break our heart. And we don't know what to pray because we don't know what is best. The Apostle Paul knew all about this from his own life. And we pray, yes, we pray, but we don't always know what is best. And we think about Paul and famously as he had his thorn in the flesh, as he describes it in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And he prayed three times to the Lord. And, and, and the groaning of what he was in the middle of. And he prayed three times that the Lord would heal him in that situation. And he wanted what would have been easiest for him, what immediate physical healing uh, in his life, for his body and his ministry to be relieved of this hindrance. But then when the Lord didn't do that, and the Lord opens up to him and speaks to him uh, about the fact that his, God's grace is sufficient for him, and his grace and his strength is made perfect in weakness. And when Paul then realized that, 
there is a bigger picture of things, and that this thorn in the flesh that was introduced into his life and that he thought was such a curse was the very thing that was protecting him because of the greatness of the revelations that God was giving to him. It was protecting him from an even greater disease that anyone that is used by God will ever have, greater than any physical disease we will ever face, and that is uh, the, the, uh, the, the pride. God was using this thorn in the flesh to keep Paul close to him and protect him from the pride of the revelations and, and, uh, and that the devil was trying to bring into his life as a result. Paul wrote uh, later on in his life in his Roman imprisonment, and I, I think we, uh, doubtless as he's in prison, every single Christian in all of the ancient world is praying for Paul's release from prison in, in uh, Rome. Uh, this is the groaning, the sighing of the apostle unjustly imprisoned by Rome. And yet Paul is uh, then informs in his letter to the church at Philippi, uh, that's the, the smaller pictures. Yes, it's a tragedy. It's awful. We want Paul's circumstances to be changed. But then he writes to them and gives them the bigger picture when he says, I want you to know, brethren, that the thing which happened to me have actually happened, actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident in my chains, are much more bold to speak the word uh, without fear. And there is the bigger picture. There is uh, the things that uh, they, that they uh, couldn't know. I think about Martha, again, the sister of uh, Mary and Lazarus. And here is a, a classic, another classic example of not knowing what to pray in a given situation. And, and she is a classic example of, of, of misguided prayer during a time of stress. When she is in cooking a meal and Mary, her sister, is sitting at Jesus' feet in the other uh, room, and uh, Martha gets frustrated at kind of the laziness of her sister, why doesn't her sister come in uh, to the kitchen and help her prepare the meal that she is preparing? And then as this whole thing is progressing through uh, Martha's mind, her frustration moves from being kind of solely focused upon her sister, and now she begins to get frustrated with Jesus. Why is it he sending Mary? Uh, you know, why isn't he rebuking her? Why are you sitting at my feet here in this room? There's work to be done in the kitchen. And she becomes frustrated with both of them and then bursts into the room and, and uh, uh, makes her prayer known immediately when she says to Jesus, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? And therefore, tell her to help me. Uh, the, perhaps you've uh, offered a prayer to uh, of, of that kind uh, to the Lord. It's, uh, and Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you're worried and troubled about many things. And uh, one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. And I think all of us in, in the course of our lives are, uh, find ourselves guilty ultimately of, of these kind of prayers. It certainly has been true of me. And I found that the longer that I walk as a Christian, 
uh, the more I pray uh, with the Spirit of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and to make my requests that I make to God in any situation, but certainly in the middle of a crisis, but with the spirit of nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Because I think it's been your experience as well as mine that so often I've seen and I've experienced so many times when the best thing was not a quick deliverance uh, from a trial, either in my own life or on the part of someone else, or an immediate healing, or getting bailed out of, of jail within hours, or bailed out of any number of, of hard situations in a person's life. And I don't think that I'm alone when I say as a Christian how many times when all was ultimately said and done following some crisis, that I'm almost as thankful for the prayers that Jesus did not answer is the ones that he did answer. I'm almost as thankful for uh, the, how he uh, overlooked and ignored my uh, ignorant or misguided prayers during such a season as I am for the portions of the prayers that he, uh, that he honored that were lifted up uh, to him. And then when you, when you look at the situation and as it unfolds and you realize that as he disregards what we ask for in a given situation, our particular request, and then as time is allowed to be added to the situation, we realized he only disregarded what we asked for because he was up to something that was far greater. But only time would reveal it to be so. And this is the continual experience of every single Christian. And that's why there's no better attitude or better qualifying statement that we can bring to our prayers than nevertheless, not my will, uh, but thy will be done. For the simple reason that there's no better will in all of life than the will of God. Now, notice the work of, of the Holy Spirit in our lives here during times of great uh, suffering. So, here we sit in a situation. I mean, a few of us are, are not familiar with it in our own lives. Absolutely clobbered by some form of, of suffering resulting from the fallenness of this world. And we sit in the, in the middle of this thing, sighing and groaning, and, and we are unable to formulate a prayer to even begin to express the magnitude of the impact that this suffering has just introduced into our hearts. We are unable to even know what to pray. We're in such shock. And Paul now reveals to us what the Holy Spirit immediately begins to do on our behalf in that, in that moment. And he tells us in verse 26 that he helps us. In other words, this passage reminds us what we desperately need to be reminded of in a, 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 in a, a season like this within our life, and that is that we're not alone. Because when we find ourselves in that kind of a circumstance, it is easy to feel very, very alone, to feel as if God has abandoned us, uh, to look longingly and jealously at other people in the world who seem to be going on about all of their business, and they seem to be living life with far fewer problems than we have. And it's a very lonely feeling 
in that kind of a circumstance. And it's good to know that uh, we have help that is going on in our lives, whether we recognize it or not. And that word helps that he uses there in verse 26, it's interesting that it's in the present tense. And why that's important is that, uh, is that uh, not only is the Holy Spirit always present to help us uh, at, at such times, at the times where these gigantic things uh, come into our lives, but there is a sense in which the Holy Spirit is in our lives, and, and He is continually doing this in the course of our Christian lives. And no matter how great the problem is, or even how moderate or small the problem might be in our lives, that He is always working in this way uh, to, to help us whether we're conscious of it or not. The Greek word for the English word helps in this verse is another word that uh, is intended to produce kind of a, a picture within, within our minds. And when it talks about uh, helps here, uh, the Greek word is intended to produce a picture of someone helping another to carry a heavy load. And that's the, that's the exact uh, Greek word that under the influence of the Holy Spirit that Paul takes to communicate what the Holy Spirit does within our lives during such uh, seasons within our lives, that he, it is the picture of someone uh, helping another to carry uh, a heavy load, and that's what the Holy Spirit immediately begins to do in our lives. The specific form that His help takes is that he, t in verse 26, is that he makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. And I think when I read that passage, the first two questions that would come to my mind in trying to understand it is, number one, who groans here? Uh, the Holy Spirit, is he groaning or are we groaning? And the second question that I would ask related to it is, are these groanings audible, or are they inaudible? And, and the second question concerning that, the single Greek word translated, which cannot be uttered in, in English there in verse 26, it literally means unspoken. It means wordless. And it could refer to literal groans that a Christian would make in a time of suffering. The groans would be audible. They would be inspired by the Spirit. They would be directed by the Holy Spirit, but they would be unintelligible. That's entirely uh, possible that Paul is communicating that. But it, it, it's much more likely that he's referring to groans that are not the Christian's but that are uh, rather belong to the Holy Spirit, that the internal groanings that we experience at these kind of times, when we sit down to pray to God, are the Holy Spirit's own language of prayer within us, that He is already engaging in a ministry of intercession that is taking place within our hearts, but it's largely imperceptible to us. In other words, the Holy Spirit who indwells us, He intercedes for us. He is the one groaning. He is the one praying, but we sense it as a groan. 
We sense it as a sigh within our lives, and, and, and He is the one who, who, who is doing. He, it is the Holy Spirit who in, in, indwells us, who intercedes for us, and He does so, Paul tells us, with an absolute clarity concerning all that we are feeling inside as a result of the suffering. He begins to pray for us with a clarity that we don't even possess ourselves concerning the situation or concerning our own needs in the face of the situation, and, and very often in a traumatic event in our lives. We cannot uh, process it in its entirety. We can't comprehend the full implications of, of the event. This thing gets introduced into our life. There's complete disorientation. It's too much for us all at once. Our emotions, our minds immediately become uh, uh, overloaded, and thus we begin to shut down emotionally. We begin to shut down uh, mentally on some level because we cannot manage the full shock of the trauma or the suffering. And so we choose then to take what resources we do have to now focus on one, two, or three things in the middle of all of this in an attempt to manage. But while we're trying to focus on those one, two, or three things, the trauma of whatever this event is that's occurring within our life, it just explodes out in all directions. We don't manage it. We don't uh, uh, contain it at all. And it continues to go out and move into the fullness of our heart, our mind, our soul, and, and our strength on a level we don't even understand. But all of it's very clear to the Holy Spirit. And He who indwells us, as all of this is going on, He begins to intercede for us to God the Father with an understanding of our needs that even we don't possess. And then the Holy Spirit, unlike us, is also, because He is God the Holy Spirit, He is perfectly aware of what God's will is in the situation. We don't have the slightest idea. We're trying to manage the situation, survive the situation. And because the Holy Spirit is aware of God's will in the situation, His prayers for us they're not stabs in the dark. Not, there's not guesswork involved, but it is, his prayers are a perfect match to the will of God for us in the situation. And here you have an effectiveness in prayer that we don't even remotely possess in, in comparison. And, and this is a wondrous work of the intercession that is going on in our lives by the Holy Spirit, continually, but we're most aware of it at times of suffering. He tells us, and, and we close with this, in verse 27, the place of God the Father in all of this is, is given to us there, where God the Father is described as He who searches the hearts. In other words, He knows all that we're going through in this life, and God has compassion upon us as a result of that. God is aware that we are, as Christians, very far from home and that life is far bigger than our resources. Psalm 103, verse 13, as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame, and he remembers that we are dust.
When he were told concerning God the Father, uh, he is he who knows uh, what is the mind of the Spirit, because he, uh, the, that is, the Holy Spirit makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. In other words, this prayer, this conversation uh, concerning us and us in the middle of the great crisis that we find ourselves in, in the middle of, there is a great conversation that is occurring between God the Father and the Holy Spirit in our midst, in our innermost being. And what Paul is telling us is that when that prayer is going on for us in the middle of our crisis, that between the Father and the Holy Spirit, there is no miscommunication between them. And in this kind of prayer, it is the indwelling Spirit who prays for us, and His mind is immediately read by the Father uh, to whom the prayer is addressed. And, and thus, we can be at peace, Paul is telling us, in the midst of the suffering. And what Paul is telling us here is all of it is intended to, to be a comfort to us, an encouragement to us, to reassure us that we are being very well taken care of by the Godhead on many levels, but certainly on the level of intercession. And here we see the entire Godhead becomes involved in, in our lives uh, during seasons like this and, and at such times in, in, uh, in what I think is one of the most beautiful glimpses of, of the inner workings of the Godhead. And during these times within our lives, later we'll see it in verse 34 of the same uh, chapter, Jesus is interceding for us. Uh, from heaven, the right hand of the Father. Here we're told that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us uh, within our very hearts. And then we're told that God the Father is listening to those prayers, and He is answering those prayers. And to stop and to think about what wonderful hands we are in at such times. I think about the, the old uh, commercial, I think it's Allstate, and they talk about Allstate being the good hands people, and to carry it into the, the greater catastrophes in life in which no mere insurance company can come alongside and, and underwrite us or undergird us. But I think I do like the good hands people, and we are the beneficiaries of the best hands in, in the universe, the hands of the, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And I think that all of this helps to explain how we have survived so many hardships in our Christian lives that we never thought we would survive, that we were shocked that we survived it. And we made it through, and Christians always make it through. And we know that it was God who got us through. We understand that. But here we're given a marvelous revelation that God wants us to be aware of, and that is that at such times in our lives, the entire Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, rise up to assist us with an intercessory prayers. 
And I don't think there's anything in all of the world that brings me greater comfort in any trial or situation, difficult situation that I find myself in, than the knowledge that Jesus ever lives to make intercession for me and for you. And here Paul reveals to us that the scope of the intercession is even far greater than what Jesus is doing in the situation, but involves the Holy Spirit Himself and what He is doing from within us, and that God the Father hears those prayers with a perfect clarity, and then He answers them uh, perfectly. And I think it's, a, it's an overlooked truth about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit, and it's a, it's a precious one. I think, praise the Lord, at such times when we feel so alone in those kind of trials, we feel like no one can understand because no one but God can understand, and, we, and we, it, it, that we're never, ever alone. But to have this glimpse of how, again, the entire Godhead rises up in these seasons within our life uh, to work in such a wonderful way within our lives and provides us with the explanation for why we survive such seasons. Let's stand together now and let's pray. Father, I know that we will never even begin to appreciate or to know what we owe to You and what we owe to this kind of intercession that we've been reading about this morning in our lives in order to successfully and victoriously navigate all of the ups and downs and the heartbreak and the failures, Lord, and the tragedies and difficulties of this life. We thank You for Your very firm grip upon our lives. We thank You for Your love for us. And we thank You, Father, for the intercession that goes on continually for each one of us as Your children. We are humbled to read about the truth that we have read about this morning. We are thankful for it, Lord, but we are humbled by the demonstration and the revelation of the love and the concern and the care that You have for us to be involved in each one of us personally in this way. And we are grateful, and we bless You, and we thank You. In Jesus' name, amen.